Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to the Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, or 88, right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You're with the Double L team, Lyle and Liam. Good morning, Lyle. How are you? I am fantastic this morning, Liam. Fantastic to hear. Before we get to that, I just want to have a special, special welcome yes. to our Newcastle listeners. They've been uh, offline for the last oh, couple yes. of days. Absolutely. So very special welcome to all you. Apologies for the uh, for the technical issues, but welcome back. It's it's part of the challenge. It is indeed of running a national radio network, and so you might wonder why does my local why why does why is Faith FM get technical issues? Okay, so what you got to understand that that is taking place here is we're not running a local radio station. We are running a national network. We have a network of more than one hundred and fifty transmitters across Australia. Which means that there are lots of opportunities for them to break down. Indeed. Uh, your typical radio station has one big transmitter, and if that one goes down, they're in trouble, but they usually have a backup, whereas because we have a very large network of transmitters, yeah, sometimes things go wrong, and sometimes it can be quite time-consuming to get them up and running. But we are super thankful this morning that the Cookshill transmitter, which uh, smashes it out over Newcastle, Indeed. is back up and running again this morning. Indeed. Right. So I'm thankful for the for the whole Faith FM team. It's not just Lyle and myself in the studio. Obviously, after the show, there's a bunch of other programs. And this afternoon, there'll be a, another live broadcasted show from here in the same studio. So Starting at 3.30 this afternoon. Indeed. And that show is called... Uh, I can't remember. Do you remember what it's called? Uh, it's, it's with Robbie and um, I think Rebecca's coming in today. Okay. So nice. um, so yeah, but, um, but it's not just us live presenters that are here. There's also all the producers, all the the, the um, button pushers. So I'm thankful for the whole team here at Faith FM that puts the whole show together. Yes, absolutely. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Positively different news. What's this happening morning. in the world of positively different news? There, Liam. Uh, well, I just, I'm, I'm really thankful for a lot of things this morning. I'm really thankful. This, it's a brand new day. I woke up and uh, the fires were cooking outside. And, um, you know, with everything else, I was watching the news last night with everything happening in, in America. And there's something else that I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for my white skin. I'm thankful that my parents are still together and still love each other. I'm thankful that, my, that I have a father in my a father figure in my life to help guide me uh, into the things that I do in life. I'm thankful that I got a private ed- uh, that I got a private education uh, through all twelve thirteen sorry all tw- thirteen years of schooling. I'm thankful that I had the opportunity to have tutors. I didn't take that opportunity, which is a bad mistake. But I had the opportunity to take tutors when I was at school. I'm thankful that uh, I. You know, never really had to pay bills. I'm thankful that I got a scholarship uh, for my music when I was at school. I got, uh, I got a music scholarship that was based on the education that I received, that I had received. I'm thankful that I've got food at night. I'm thankful that I've got a bed to sleep in at night and a roof over my head. And you know, last night there was something else that I realized I was thankful for. I went to the shop and it was late and it was dark and I had a beanie on because I was cold. A beanie that was covering my head, and I had my, my hoodie on, and I had my hands in my pockets, and I was in a bit of a hurry, so I wasn't going slowly. I wasn't, I wasn't running, but I wasn't really going slowly. I walked into the shop, got what I needed to get, went and paid for it, and no one looked at me twice, and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that when I get to go for a run every, every Sunday, no one looks at me differently. 
No one, no one stops me or, or no one pulls me up for, for anything. I can just freely run however I like. I've, I've seen a lot of different things happening around. Just listening to that, you know what jumps out at my mind? What's that? I'm thankful I live in Australia. Indeed. Absolutely. And there's, there's, been, a, there's been a number of, um, of different phrases, two in particular, that I've seen really going around lately. And two, two phrases that are virtually the same, that, people, that some people think are the same, but are actually really different. And that is all lives matter and black lives matter. For as long as I can remember, all lives have, have, have mattered. However, the, def- the definition of what people believe lives are, that's varied. That's changed. Very, very much so. And, you know, as, as well as something that I've remembered, that, or I don't remember rather, is I, I don't re- really remember where people of colour have really had... Th- th- there's always been an element where they've been persecuted for something, such as in America... Where well, that's not historically true. Not but, historically true, yeah. but but I mean, before the, the colonization, they obviously lived peacefully um, amongst themselves. I mean, there was like tribal wars and yeah, stuff. Yeah, no, that's a there's a, okay, that's, that's a can of fish that I don't know t- much yeah, about. Yeah, don't even don't even go there with that one. Um, but point is, times have changed, and I think a lot of people think that all lives matter and Black Lives Matter are the same thing. Whereas, yes, all lives matter. All lives have always mattered. However, not all black lives have always mattered. And some people might think that that's exactly the same statement, just reworded, but it's, it's, it's a very different statement. It's a statement that is applied at different times in history exactly. to every race on earth and every skin colour on earth. Exactly. And for, and, uh, for all of time, white men have been able to do virtually anything they like within reason, you know? Within within recent times, within so recent with, times, within recent times, yeah, within recent times, and then that extended to eventually to 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 white women, and as time has progressed, we have been you know people of color have also had the opportunity to have had the, the same or similar opportunities um, legally, uh, and and then and, and I think it's important that, that we we sort of we do need to remember our history because you know the majority of the of the. Um, the large empires and the largest empires that have ever ruled the world um, and the majority of domination of the world has not been from white people. No. White people has really only dominated the world for, you know, the dominance really starts to rise in the last 500 years. Yep. Um, and it's only been in very, you know, the last couple of hundred years that, you know, the, the white people have dominated. But you go back before that and you've got around about two and a half thousand years of domination by Asia. Exactly. Um, and so, yeah, we, there's, there's certain... Um, and, and this is what happens is that it moves in different waves through history. And so, yeah, I, I think it's important to keep some historical context there. Yeah, and I'm not a historian, so I apologise to, to all our listeners that are historians that, that do or not that, that do know this stuff. I don't know everything, um, but you know, I've, I feel like I've got a, a knowledge well enough to make my own judgment of these things. And you know, not everyone has feels you, you know negatively towards people of colour. Not everyone feels uh, positively uh, about white people. Uh, everyone's got got uh, differing views, and from what I've seen, for the majority, everyone appears to be getting on 
more or less nicely. It's it's the minority. Yeah, that, you got a minority of people who are racist, and racism is one of those things that can it's incredibly come powerful from any color whatsoever exactly. at all. And in the United States, yeah, we see racism between blacks and whites. Where blacks are in the minority, you go to Africa, you see racism between blacks and whites where whites are in the minority. And it's pretty horrific wherever you find it. It is. And I, yeah, I'm just, I'm thankful for all, all the friends that I've got. And I guess one of that's one of the reasons why I say I'm thankful that I live in Australia rather than I'm thankful for the color of my skin because, you know, the color of your skin, I won't say mine because I'm brown, but. Um, I'll say yours because you are definitely white, um, is an advantage in this country. But if you were in other countries, you would be severely um, persecuted because of the colour of your skin. Indeed. And you'd have a lot of racial, racial prejudice against you because of the colour of your skin. And so, yeah, I'm thankful that, uh, that I live in Australia where this is, you know, racism is alive here in this country, but it's got to be the most the most least racist country in the world that I've ever seen. I've travelled to a lot of different Indeed. countries, and uh, this is this has got to be the most accepting country I've ever seen. And it's just a oh, it's just a fantastic thing. It's a blessing. Australia is far from perfect, and you'll never find a perfect country this side of heaven. But could be worse. I'm also very thankful for all of my friends of, of many different cultures that have helped educate me uh, on the things that I don't know. Um, throughout all this time, I've seen a number of people putting things on social media, helping to educate the people that don't know. And um, yeah, so a little bit different news this morning, but hopefully uh, you can all see the positive in it. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different.
Yetu there by the Brigham Young University. I'm just going to call it the Brigham Young University Music Department. They have the, all the various departments and Alex Boye with Baba Yetu, which is the Swahili translation of the Lord's Prayer. Absolutely. Fantastic piece of music right Indeed. there. Indeed. Joining us on the phone this morning is uh, uh, former police officer Daniel Collier to talk about uh, the situation that is taking place in the United States right now. Daniel, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Daniel, there's a lot of uh, things that we have seen over the last couple of days, very, very disturbing footage, uh, photos, etc., that in my mind are very, very confusing um, to all of us. You know, we sort of wonder how did this happen, what was going on, um, and we, of course, as you know, the average run-of-the-mill person don't understand what actually happens in the police force. Obviously, you served here in Australia and not overseas, and so they'd have um, different practices and so forth over there. But from the photos and so forth that you've seen of what happened in this George Floyd um, situation, what's your analysis? What's going on here? Does this actually make sense? Is this the kind of thing that you, know, you would expect to see police officers doing? Yeah, look, I appreciate... Um, first off, what you said there, I don't think anybody outside of law enforcement background really should be commenting that much because they don't always have all the facts. Uh, I haven't seen any, I haven't seen the footage. I just don't want to. Simple as that. I've seen a lot of photos, a lot of stills. <clears throat> but from what I have seen, it definitely seems to be something suspicious going on. And why would someone stare down the lens of a camera for however long it was with a knee on someone's neck, especially if they're crying out and saying they, they can't breathe? Having said that, in circumstances, I have come across people who would literally do anything to get away. I had a person that I was arresting and they were at their house and they said, oh, fine, I'll go with you. I just want to hug my kid one last time. And so he picked up his child, gave him a hug, went to put them down then turned around and threw the child at us and took off running. He literally used his child as a shield to, to try and get away. So I can understand the officers not necessarily paying attention to what's being said while the guy's on the ground. But there's a lot that just doesn't doesn't add up. There's a lot of sus things going on surrounding it when you look into it. And I'm, I'm not con- convinced that it wasn't unplanned. Yeah, it's, it seems, it's, it, it makes no sense to me that, you'd, as, as you say, you stare down the, the lens of multiple high-definition cameras and for nine minutes. I mean, it just is like, wow. But anyway, okay, so have you ever seen, in your experience, have you ever seen this kind of thing take place uh, in the police force? Not to that extent. I've heard of excessive force being used. I was aware of, of several officers who were particularly heavy-handed. Uh, but it was also, and I'm not defending it in any way, but it was useful in that way because if you needed a subject, uh, suspect to be compliant in a particular way, you'd say, I'm going to call such and such to come down and they'd be a bit more fearful and, and provide information. So I'm not excusing it in any way. I just want to 
specify that as well. But it is a language in itself, and some people can only react to physicality because no amount of verbal reasoning works. I was working with one of my mates one day, and we picked up this guy um, on a DV charge, trying to get him in the police van, and he was refusing. He wasn't moving, and he was resisting. So we grabbed his legs, and we tripped him up and tipped him into the, the van. His head hit the metal seat. He ended up with a big golf ball-sized um, bump on top of his forehead. If he hopped in, it wouldn't have happened. I said, you know, having said that, resistance comes in many forms. People seem to think it has to be violent, thrashing about and fighting, but it doesn't. It's all about compliance. If I'm trying to push someone in a direction and they're standing their ground not moving, that's resisting. If I'm trying to bring their arm around to the back of their small of their back to handcuff them and they're preventing that, that's also resisting. Sure, and, and, but in this situation, you've got a guy that's on the ground that's been handcuffed and they're just, you know, holding him down. I mean, surely he's been subdued by the time he's been handcuffed. You know, if this kind of thing happened in Australia, you know, what would what would be the response of the Australian police force to uh, to an event like this? Yeah, look, as I said before, there's, there's weird circumstances surrounding how it went down. There was, a, you know, several police cars available for them to seat him in. It didn't require four officers. He didn't appear to be overly... Um, non-compliant to the degree where he's thrashing about and fighting, so I don't I understand that circumstances to it, but <clears throat> when this event kind of happened, this kind of event happens, sorry, it becomes classed as a critical incident, and there would be a thorough investigation. So I think many officers, much like citizens right now in the world, would be divided over the situation and how it was handled. Sure, sure. Okay, just sort of uh, moving forward here um, a little bit. Um, obviously, there's you know a lot of... Um, you know, race riots and so forth that have been taking place and the issue of racism is just, you know, absolutely white-hot subject right now. Um, in the police force here in Australia, do you get training in relationship to racism and how to deal with it um, and so forth? Yeah, I took part in workshops surrounding the importance of caring for those people identified as high-risk, at-risk or vulnerable people. People of Aboriginal ancestry or clan acceptance are classified as at-risk and need to have special considerations when being dealt with due to external factors like things that are culturally and socially important. People classified as vulnerable people have more support available to them due to their situations. Right, okay, so what's, okay, yeah, and, and that's good. Uh, I think that's a very positive thing that we have happening here in Australia. Um, as a police officer yourself, you've been out on the force, you've uh, seen, you know, all kinds of different incidents, um, but what's your personal view of racism? Whereas uh, I should I'll, say I'll... as a former police officer, just to clarify that. <laughs> Well, I really liked your intro um, just before 7.30. You talked about the circumstances and <clears throat> we're all under God. And I feel the same way. We're all one race under God, a little darker melanin, a little lighter melanin skin tones. I'm more concerned about behaviour than race. I mean, I've, I've had Aboriginal friends in my life. I've actually dated Aboriginal girl. Uh, I currently have Islander brothers and sisters at college who I love dearly and a lifelong friend who's Torres Strait Islander. When people look through an atheist worldview and particular people are of less importance due to their skin colour, I think that's when you really start to get a, uh, a bothersome understanding of the world and you just feel like you're ashamed and embarrassed for them as humans. Mm, for sure. Now, we're trying to understand also not just what this one police officer did in this situation, but also the fact that there were a bunch of other officers that just stood by and watched it happen, which seems to be absolutely mind-boggling. But um, we're just trying to get our head around this. What would cause a police officer to stand by and watch something happening unless there was, you know, some kind of plan we don't know about it? But, um, okay, but when you're facing dangerous situations as a police officer, how important is 
your partner and the role of your partner um, in those kind of situations? Look, they're 100% backup. They're support. They're your equals, regardless of rank, who's senior on the truck. You are relying on that person to have your life in their hands and vice versa. It's always the same same thing. You have to be on the same page. You're going to get personalities that clash and people that don't like each other and people that might not like working with each other. Um, and there were people that I disliked working with in the police force just due to their overtly angry personalities and rudeness and unnecessary quips. But in a circumstance where it was dire, they would have my support 100% to ensure that we both go home safe at the end of the shift to our families. Okay, so just um, skipping ahead here again, uh, you know, how damaging it would be if you did not trust your, you know, your partner and other, other fellow police officers in a situation, like if the trust was undermined in the field, how damaging would that be when you're going into a dangerous situation? And, and I guess I guess what I'm, I'm, I'm trying to explore here is did they stand by because there is a culture of you support the guys who, who's in control regardless of what happens? Yeah, look, it's... Um when you're working together, you're a team. Like you're, you're basically a single unit. And when you're dealing with people, there's a contact officer and a cover officer. Contact officer will be the first point of contact, finding out information, engaging with the, the person. The cover officer stays back and watches everything, covers the person. They're looking at all avenues of potential things that could go wrong and make sure that they're safe as well. Uh, if there's a conflict with officers, two working together, you can have reports made, efforts can be made to try and have them not work together, but sometimes it's unavoidable. I've heard about husband and wife couples working together on the same team in the same car as a pair, which is kind of bizarre. you think there'd be some kind of uh, circumstance there for it not happening because of the relationship, but it just all depends on the circumstances. If they're in dire need and they just need police officers out there, they'll put whoever they can with each other and get them to go out there. But sometimes it's the personalities that clash. You just have to hope the person you're working with has the same mindset and will back you up, regardless of bad blood or a difficult history. I worked with a guy that didn't back me up one time. I was the contact officer for a husband-wife assault dispute. Both were guilty of some kind of offence. The husband called first, so we spoke to him first. Got one version of the story. We went and spoke to the wife, got her version. We asked her about her husband's version, and she just lost her mind. Started accusing us of taking a side, being corrupt, swearing at us. I tried explaining to her at great length about the processes and what we needed to do and the fact that he called first means we should have gone to see him first. But she refused to listen, so I told the cover officer that we're disengaging and we're leaving, we're going to go. Uh, he stayed for about another 15 minutes trying to explain with no success. And I looked like a petulant child sitting in the car sulking while he kept talking. It was very unprofessional. Because I was in charge and that was my incident, there was no wrongs being done. Anything could have been rectified later. He should have taken my lead and followed me instead of sticking behind. Like, I've had circumstances where I was the cover officer and my partner, she was the contact officer, and when people became too belligerent, she said, we're going. And I just turned around and walked with her because it's her call, it was her job, and if we needed to go back, we could at some time. Nobody was in direct danger. A little bit different with this George Floyd situation, but a lot of the time you, you have faith in what the contact officer is doing, um, and I was supporting him by by being there to make sure he was protected as well in case somebody came along to try and attack him. Yeah, and once again, the whole George Floyd situation is, I just find the whole thing incredibly puzzling from a, a policing perspective. But, um, yeah, we, we're a bit short on time here. So, um, But I just wanted to uh, look at uh, or, or 
talk a little bit about racial and social profiling. Um, you know, is this a thing? Is it avoidable? I mean, if you're driving around at 3.30 in the morning, you see a red Commodore with a red P-plate and a loud exhaust, is a different thought going to go through your mind than if you see, you know, an elderly person at five in the afternoon driving a Mercedes-Benz? Oh, 100%. So there's an automatic, there's an automatic um, attitude change just by looking at the vehicle before you've even looked at the person? Yeah, well, it, it comes down to circumstances, basically. So I've never arrested someone for a break and enter wearing a three-piece suit at 2am, carrying a briefcase. It just doesn't happen. I think racial profiling goes out the window when numbers, facts and stats and figures are looked at. Most police interactions begin with negative actions or situations, behaviourally. Race doesn't come into the job, it's just a job. You go where you need to fix problems. There's an acronym that's used, which is this, T-H-I-S, which is time or place, history, intel and situation is applied to all incidents. That's how suspicion is formed to interact with most people who don't call for help directly. Okay, so but is that suspicion, that automatic suspicion that sort of just pops into your head, is that a form of social profiling? Look, it, some people might have that kind of inclination, especially in the States where it, I've heard lots of reports that the racism is very different but it shouldn't be. The media seems to paint US cops like that, but I don't see them putting the other thousands of videos up and commenting on perfectly done traffic stops or arrests, regardless of the skin colour of the offender. I mean, I rarely received any sort of thanks. We had to attend a scene of a car crash where an officer died on duty, one of our own. And we're involved in coordination of resources and other things to ensure the scene was, was kept guarded. And the following Monday, there was a meeting at the station to pay respects to the fallen officer. The commissioner turned up and our commander told us to expect a chat from him for a good job and considering the circumstances. We got tied up with bureaucrats kissing up to him and we never got the thanks for taking control and being involved in a major situation. So I, I think there's a lot of people painting them badly and go, oh, look at these, you know, let's say, look at these 100 bad incidents. Like, okay, well, look at the other 100,000 good ones that they do. And, and they really focus in on the bad. As soon as you do something bad, you get attacked, you get reports put on you, you do, you, know, you get dragged over the coals. But if you do your job effectively 99.9% of the time, no one cares. Sure. Now, if we look back at our history here in Australia, we have, you know, a long history of racial integration and we have certain races that have been profiled very negatively in the past that no longer are. You know, if you were to talk to, you know, your average Aussie now and say, oh, well, you know, Greeks and Italians or Maltese or whatever, um, and, and speak about it in a, in a racially downgrading way, people would be shocked and horrified because they're just such an amazing part of our society and we love them all to bits. Um, but, you know, you go back 40, 50 years and that was a very, very different case. What changed? Because what we've got to look at is what needs to change to solve, you know, these problems, I mean, particularly in the United States, but um, also here in Australia to a lesser, a lesser extent. So what changed with those particular races that that profiling is no longer an issue? Yeah, look, I think there's a lot to do with accepted integration, difference of values, um, and it was it was different times. Like right now in, in modern times, we can see examples of racism in the past that were very, very, very negative in, in a straight-up, uh, non-biased sort of way. Um, whereas these days, you're able to look back on those things and say, OK, the person did this because of someone's skin colour or background or 
ethnic or cultural background that was wrong, but it was accepted then for whatever reason. Nowadays, we're able to look back on those and use those mistakes of the past as a history to do more and be better. And I think it's a, I think it's a time frame sort of thing. Like I said, there's a lot to do with the, the acceptance of integration, people coming over as migrants from different countries, and now it's just they're a part of Australian culture. Yeah, for sure. Um, oh, uh, Daniel, we are out of time. So many more questions here I'd love to uh, to dig into. Um, but just want to say, Matt, how much I appreciate what you said about the fact that we are all one in Jesus Christ. And I think that is the central thought that we need to take away from this. But thank you for coming on and sharing a police, police officer's perspective um, to help us to understand a little bit more of possibly what went wrong in the United States. You're listening to The Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM positively different and we are we have okay ready for this yep. are you ready for this ready. question of the day we've got the question of the day that's right and the question today is when we get to heaven yes uh or while we're in heaven rather yes while, while, we're, we're, living in heaven. while we're living in heaven how many beings of the Godhead will we see? So will we see one being or will we see three separate beings? Being God, okay, Father, so this God, is Son, an, God, the Holy Spirit. an interesting question. And the reason that this question comes up is because some people feel that there is a hierarchy within the Godhead where you have God the Father at the top and God the Holy Spirit at the bottom and Jesus in between. Um, and therefore we can see Jesus Christ. That's not hard to understand because we have seen him before here on this earth. But because God the Father is at the top, we can never see God without dying. And because the Holy Spirit is a spirit, and spirits are kind of hard to see, that there is the possibility that we might only ever see Jesus. Well, the Bible doesn't indicate that in any way, shape, or form. The Bible says that we will worship God face to face. The Bible says that we will have no problem being in the presence of God, the Father, who is a consuming fire, because there will be no sin on us. And the only problem with coming into the presence of God is the presence of sin. And so the real question then comes down to, well, what about the Holy Spirit? Now, if, these, if the three members of the Godhead are not a hierarchy, but they are equal in importance, equal in divinity, equal in existence, then uh, there would be no reason why we would not also see the Holy Spirit. Why would I say that? Well, there are many occasions when spirits are visible. We do not understand in any way, shape or form the visibility of the Holy Spirit, we, but, but we do understand the visibility of ministering spirits. The Bible speaks about angels as being ministering spirits, and we know that they can appear in the form of human beings. And so we can understand that the um, the Holy Spirit can be visible, I guess, in whatever form the Holy Spirit wants to be visible in, and this is something that we will need to find out. The important thing, though, really to understand is that the Holy Spirit is a person. Some people see the Holy Spirit as just being you know, a divine force, you know, this electrical force field that comes from the Father or the Son or both or otherwise. And no, the Holy Spirit is a separate and distinct person. And so when Jesus was baptized, for example, the Bible says that the Father spoke from heaven. The Son came up out of the water and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. 
You have three separate beings in three different places doing three different things at one event. And the Holy Spirit in this case was visible in the form of a dove. So we would assume that the Holy Spirit can take you know, whatever form the Holy Spirit wants to, much like a ministering spirit or an angel can. Okay, what about the personality of the Holy Spirit? John chapter 16, verse 13, the Bible says, How about when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, uh, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. He will glorify me, for he, shall not re- for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. That's nine times in two verses that the Holy Spirit is defined as being a person. The Bible says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. That's in Ephesians 3 and verse 30. The Holy Spirit can grieve. Do not lie to the Holy Spirit. Acts 5 verse 34. Do not frustrate the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks, we find, in Ezekiel chapter 11 and verse 5. And so we find that throughout the Bible, the Holy Spirit has all the characteristics of a person, the third person of the Godhead.